Hey, serious privacy enthusiasts, ready to ace your AI data privacy game? Oh, you bet, Kate. Dive into the world of TrustSark's Nimity Research, your go-to for staying on top of regulatory developments in AI and privacy. Seriously, Nimity Research maintains a massive privacy and regulatory database featuring expert guidance and analysis from legal and privacy pros. So save time on privacy research, cut your compliance timeline, and reduce costs with Nimity Research. Get your regulatory research and insight at your fingertips with a free trial. So get ahead in privacy compliance and start that free trial today. Go to trustark.com slash nimity dash free dash trial. This is Serious Privacy by Trustar. Here are your hosts, Paul Breitbart and Kay Royal. I think it would be fair to say that our guest today is the mother of the privacy podcast. Actually, Carson was the original host of the IAPP Privacy Advisor podcast for many years, a weekly staple for many privacy professionals. But Angelique was not just the voice of the privacy advisor, she also was the pen, since most of her work actually involved writing about privacy. After the IPP, she did so for a number of years at Osano, and since the start of this year, she is the director of content strategy at Terra True, still based out of Washington, D.C. We are very happy that Angelique joins us today to talk about privacy careers, podcasting, U.S. legislative developments, the prospects of an impenetrable transatlantic data protection sustainability framework thingy, and many thingy, more things. Thingy, love it. My name is Paul Breitbart. And I'm Kay Royal, and welcome to Serious Privacy. So y'all know what I'm going to say next. I just love that we have Angelique on the <laughs> podcast today. I just love it. Which, by the way, one of the stickers was going to be, write your favorite quote from Kay and Paul. Oh, I Or love- I was just going to write, I love it across the middle. But and yes, there will really be stickers. Go find K and IAPP. Listen, people love stickers so hard. Like when we do stickers at the IAPP, they go like wildfire. I mean, people. Oh, just, they do. They do. Yeah. Well, here's one of the stickers. Are you ready for the unexpected question? Wait, what? That's a sticker? That's a sticker I mean, in the question. But it's also a question to you. Oh, okay. Both. Okay. Yes. All right. I need to drink more coffee. I'm ready. What is the most honest thing you've said today? Oh, my gosh. See, uh, no one's ever ready for the unexpected question. <laughs> well, also, I work from home by myself, so I haven't said that much yet. But I... <laughs> I know that. I know that. <laughs> uh, I would have to say, so my girlfriend got stuck in Puerto Rico. She was there vacationing for a whole week and she was supposed to fly home Sunday and her flight got canceled until Tuesday. And so I had to swoop in and take her puppy from her parents who were, who were dog sitting. And she texted me today and said, how is little Otis doing? And I said, he's doing great. And that was the truth. <laughs> there you go, Paul. What about Not you? Than that. You um, had a little bit longer than Angelique to be honest today. That's true. But also I didn't speak to too many people today because I've mainly been Preparing for a, a meeting next week and, and preparing lots of difficult slides. Are y'all telling me that you're not the people that have the monologue running in your heads? Yeah, but I mean, being honest to myself is nothing special. So <laughs> I, I think being honest on social media would count, though. So I called out the EU member states once again on data retention because there was a ruling of the Court of Justice this morning for the gazillion signs saying that indiscriminate data retention is not allowed under EU law. I think this is 
maybe the seventh or the eighth time in as many years that the court has said that. And still the EU member states will not accept that they cannot hold telecommunications data indefinitely or in bulk for counterterrorism and, and serious crime purposes. Wow. That, that's always, pretty honest. It always comes down to the, to the, the counterterrorism purposes. It's that whole... Right? That whole like always the same. And we must sacrifice to save. Yeah, yeah, it's the dog ate my homework reason, right? <laughs> it's it's yeah. So the most honest thing I've said because I'm on Pacific time, so it's not really early in my morning. But y'all know I'm not a morning person. Was when Paul and Angelique were talking about you know having something to drink nearby for the podcast, and they were talking about wine and all, and I'm like, well, and y'all don't know what's in my water bottle <laughs> or in my <laughs> bottle, so. So that's the most honest thing I've said today is y'all have no idea what's in this bottle. And are you going to, at some point in the show, is there an unveil of what's actually, or we're just going to see you. We'll We'll just see how much giggly I get when I'm done. Exactly. All right. I got it. Thank you. And I am still recovering. I did go back and listen to the podcast um, from when my voice was horrible and going, huh, that doesn't even sound like me. So. I'm almost fully recovered, so I'm almost back to normal. So I love it. So, Angelique, I have to say, you you came on the screen when we started the recording. I was like, oh, my God, there's my Angelique's face. And (laughs) Paul was like, there's her voice. And we're all excited. What's going on with Angelique nowadays? Oh, my gosh. Well, first of all, I'm so excited to see your faces, too. It's been too long since we've been able to chat. And also, thanks so much for having me on. And that intro, Paul, was very professional. It was like very newscaster. I also appreciated uh, being called the mother of the Privacy Podcast. I am doing wonderful. I uh, just took a new job that I'm super excited about. I feel like at this point in my career, I have a very specific idea of what type of what type of work environment I need and what type of mentorship I need and like how I'm going to get to the next sort of level in my own sort of ladder or chart that I have in my right. head of, of where I want to go. So things are amazing. I'm living that startup life, which is from the not-for-profit life. I had to acclimate. You know, I spent a year and about a year and a half at Osano before TerraTrue. And so I got some experience in how startups move and work and feel. But, you know, I'm only less than two years in total. And I still, I'm still on that learning curve a little bit. It's, it's fast-paced and exciting, but it's also just like, when you love your teammates and you're doing something difficult, there's that built-in camaraderie where you're not doing the work because you're afraid of what might happen if you don't do it. You just want to impress your teammates, you know, and be like, yeah. hey, like, I, you know, I, I pulled out this blog pass, this blog post, let's use it. Or, you know, how can I help you get this, you know, Privacy Shield happy hour done? And so that feels really nice. And I just feel very supported and excited about trying to trying to build this company with these people. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand that. I am definitely on the the startup train. Yeah, and I have to. Admit, we all are now. We we all are now, and uh, I I think I pretty much always have been. Whenever I've worked for a big company, I've never a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape. Now there are big companies that don't act like that, but the big companies that aren't like that that I would enjoy look working for look at me and go, "Okay, but you have no experience with Fortune one thousand companies, right?" And I'm like. Oh, aside from the fact that I helped your privacy team grow and set up your entire program. And yeah, yeah, no, I have no experience actually working inside them. (laughs) So I never, ever, ever get pinged for those jobs because apparently I just don't have the experience. And I'm mostly okay with that. I'm at a point in my life where 
it's more about quality of life and enjoying what you do than it is about that that drive and that need and that ambition. No, it's not. It's still about the drive and the need. I was but just going like to say, are you starting to become more European, Kate? No, no, no. <laughs> I, I keep thinking my life would be a lot less stressful if I quit driving for those top positions. My my ultimate goal is to be a full-time professor. I'm, I make no bones about that. But yeah, I don't think I'll ever be able to just slow down and just enjoy. Oh, I think full-time professor would be a dream. I can't. Oh my uh, God, right? Oh, I miss, I was just having a conversation with, actually, you guys know Sam Feifel. Uh, yeah. Uh, he now is running his own, hey. he's now running his own uh, freelance gig. He's Westbury Creative as his company. But anyway, uh, nice. we were just talking last night about just philosophy. And his daughter is going to major, she's going to get her PhD in philosophy. She's a very smart girl. Wow. And I was saying like, I really just miss being in the classroom setting and having these very philosophical discussions about topics like you don't just get to think like that anymore in a collaborative space it's just we have so much to do that you Mm -hmm. know and and there's just not you know it's just not put in front of us something about that magic of like having to go to the class and sort of dreading it but then getting there and just feeling so lit up by that getting to hear from people who think differently from you and have different backgrounds, but you're all talking about the same thing is just, I miss it so much. I can see you teaching. And in, well, and I I do teach at my law school every spring. I'm supposed to be recording an online course on privacy for them, but you know, I want, I want retirement. Yeah, I feel I do too, but I have a lot of ways, unfortunately, the years are going by slowly and quickly at the same time. I feel like I reached old really quick. <laughs> Not at all. Time time surely flies. That is that is absolutely true. I I, I mean, I just I very vividly remember that very first day walking in Toronto to the Nimity office almost six years ago. And well, that six years ago when it feels like yesterday. Yeah. Um, and so much has happened since. Yeah. But I think, you know, speaking of startups, it's cool. I mean, I never saw this as a path. I never knew what I was going to do. I just wanted to write. And right. then I turned out and started writing about privacy. But startups, you know, they have this real need right now because privacy, you know, software as a service in particular, but privacy-based startups, you know, they're really needed in the world right now because we're having all these privacy problems and we need solutions. And it's cool that there's sort of a place for us to land as experienced yeah. privacy pros where they're like, listen, we want to be nimble. We want to be fast. We need in-house expertise and we need you know, quality work, can you do it? And I really feel like both myself and a lot of my friends are are getting, you know, attractive offers from startups who value our time and privacy so far and that we got in kind of early. You know, it yeah. I didn't expect it to be sort of a, a skill set of mine that I could offer privacy expertise. It's just sort of the way it ended up. But you know, there's it was not- never a thing when we were in college. No, not at all. No. No. But is it still your your main topic that you that you write upon that you develop content for privacy and data protection and cybersecurity and all of those fun topics? Yeah, for sure. So at Osano, I was doing a newsletter uh, weekly where I would summarize the news and then do sort of a blog post at, on top, trying to um, give my take, give it some personality and just have fun with it. At TerraTrue, I've only been here for about a month and a half. And so I'm just about today, actually, I'm so nervous. I'm giving my pitch to my um, COO and our head of marketing and brand. The first pitch I've ever given, and I don't know how to use PowerPoint, so I had to recruit a friend last night to come over and like build a deck for me. It was very embarrassing and humbling. Um, (laughs) You'll do fine. You'll do fine. And I know that experience. I just did it six weeks ago myself for the first time. So you'll survive. Yeah. 
But yeah, my focus is definitely still privacy data protection. At TerraTrue, we really want to walk the walk and we do. You know, what's cool about TerraTrue is that the co-founders are the, he was formerly the general counsel at Snap, right just after it entered a consent decree with FTC, Snap, which later became Snapchat. And the CISO there is our, basically our CISO now. And so in that sense, we have that sort of built in, which I think is cool. But in terms of moving forward, we really want to be producing privacy and data protection content that, you know, helps people do their jobs better. So similar to sort of my, what my background is and making sure that we're covering, you know, the big topics and helping people distill really complicated, sometimes nuanced legal issues like, you know, Shrems 2, Shrems 3, you pick, you know, all those sorts of things. I sent someone, the I was talking to someone the other day, I was explaining a piece of GDPR and I said, well, let me send you the link to my favorite GDPR site, which is, you know, the European GDPR site. Right. And she's like, oh, great. I hope it's in like simple language that people can understand. I'm like, well, of course it is. I mean, it's the actual law. Right. And she was like, <laughs> which makes it simple. I said, GDPR is not that complex. It's pretty straightforward. The nuances um, maybe, but the actual language isn't that hard to misunderstand. If you compare it to the way that U.S. legislation is generally phrased, I think you are right. If you are familiar with most <laughs> European styles of legislation, the GDPR is very complex. Yeah, I've got to say, I'm not super into reading the GDPR for fun. Uh, I usually just go to my friendly experts. What's this part about? And then go from there. But that's just because I hate Does that it. mean I'm a geek or a yes. nerd? You knew that. That's fine. That's fine. What else is new? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, But, you know, I, I, I do find myself saying that. And then I sent someone else a copy of the Colorado Privacy Act and they like, it's easy to read. Right. And I'm like, y'all need to quit asking me that. This is the law. <laughs> <laughs> I find it easy to read. I love it. It's like a mystery. You're trying to solve it and decrypt the 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 clues in it from the definitions and yeah, it's the law. Shut up. But Kay, if you if people want something easy to read, why not just send them your analysis of the Colorado law, which is easy about. to read, or that is the least translation of the Utah law. I'm I'm not sure that exists yet, but It's been written. I don't know why it's not posted, but it's been written. It's there. And then I realized we never actually wrote one up for Virginia. I was like, huh, how come I just ignored Virginia? Oh, that's right. My dad died in 2020 and he lived in Virginia. So I probably was just ignoring Virginia completely. Yeah. You're like, I don't need that kind of trauma. I don't need Virginia. So I'm just ignoring it. Let's move on to Utah. You're good. Yeah, exactly. And then who do y'all think is going to be the next state up? Guesses? Guesses are always wrong, man. Like, I can't. I mean, states just keep sneaking up out of nowhere. I didn't expect Utah to be the next one. There's it my- certainly won't be Washington State. That's that's one thing I'm willing to bet on. Yeah. Ohio, Oklahoma, Florida. Arizona's, I think, is dead. Is it? Already. I'm going to say Alaska just for the fun of it. Just for kicks and giggles. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know. I've stopped guessing because I'm always wrong. Although I did wager that we are going to see four to five states pass this year. And people were saying that that was a little bit optimistic if you're someone who wants to see laws pass. But we were already at three now. Wait, three this year. So I may have undershot a little. I don't know. We'll have to see what happens like heading into the second half of the year. But I mean, 
I do think I haven't been right in any of my predictions yet. So yeah, yeah. I think I bet some booze on it. So really hoping to win. I think Tim Sparapani apparently is making booze now. And I was like, if I win, I want some of that. (laughs) There you go. But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, now there's sort of a roadmap. So it's not so, you know, when Washington was trying to do it and back when California did it, certainly there, there wasn't as much of a roadmap. And now you can kind of see ahead where the pitfalls, you you know, there's going to be a problem with any private, private right of action that's introduced. You know, and, you know, whether federal law should supplant it, if a federal law should get passed. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's a little bit easier now because you can predict, you can almost see the legislative sessions happening, you know, and it sort of depends on which which members of which legislative body are bringing the bills in terms of like how willing they are to push for it and how savvy they are on privacy to educate their peers. But I I think it's going to get easier from here, you know. I think it's going to have to. I mean, I'm still laughing at some of the nuanced differences that we see between the laws, such as almost all of them are defining data from a known child as sensitive data. And then Utah comes along and doesn't. Interesting. And then Utah adds in the whole cure period, which I find fascinating. It's not just a cure period. The company with the violation has to submit a letter to the attorney general certifying that the violation has been cured and that it will not happen again. <laughs> Interesting. That's what companies are going to want to put that in writing, right? Yeah. Hopefully. I do suddenly swear I will never make the same mistake twice. Yeah. Mm. Maybe not. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like the Harry Potter Marauders map, you know, exactly. Right. I mean, I guess it bodes well for privacy pros getting hired. You better staff up if you're going to make that kind of promise, you know. <laughs> You know, I keep hearing that. And this is one of the things we talked about with Chris and Hillary. You know, job security isn't really a thing. We'll always have a job. But are you finding, and we were just talking about your job search with startups and everything. I think it's interesting that we're finding that a lot of companies say they want experienced privacy people, but they're not hiring experienced privacy people. They're hiring people with a few years of experience that have taken the courses and passed the test, but they don't actually have the hands-on, let's manage a privacy program or think about data strategy or help the company be innovative with the data that they have. And I find that to be depressing. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's just a cost savings thing? They're hoping they can get relatively the same type of talent, but it's not as expensive. Maybe. I don't know. It's it's frustrating. I had heard, I, you know, I've a little bit, I've been a little bit out of the loop recently because of all of this change going on in my life. I also just changed homes, apartments. So I've been drowning in change. But the, the thing that I often get from people is, is from the newer folks who are like, they want me to have all of this experience and privacy to take this job and I'm trying to get my foot in the door and I can't get hired. Like that's something that I yeah. was hearing a lot. So maybe that trend is reversing now that there's, I don't know. Maybe it's on both sides of the fence. As Kirk was saying, when, you know, he and I came up through privacy, you learned one thing at a time. Right. Now everyone that's learning privacy has to learn it all at the same time. And that's a little harder. That's a lot harder. Let's be yeah. fair. Especially so, if you're working for a, for a multinational company, even if it is not a global company, but you need to be able to deal with multiple data protection laws at the same time, yeah. whether it is in the GDPR and CCPA or maybe uh, people thrown into the mix or Brazil or South Africa or 
I mean, it's what, 125 countries now that have data protection laws, 135, it's, it's massive. So even if your company is only active in 10 or 12, including some non-European ones, you're dealing with a large volume of legislation that will have to comply with at the same time. Well, maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's the fact that nobody knows what the privacy profession is supposed to look like and what the skills are and what I think kind even of level we don't of experience. Know. Yeah. I mean, you need both a legal and a technical understanding. You need to know everything about the whole of the world and not just data protection laws, but also tech laws and other fundamental rights. And You need to have practical common sense. That's a big one. Yeah, that's a big one. I don't know. I feel like maybe we need some better funnels. You know, I'm always so pleased to watch some of my buddies like that do fellowships at the Future of Privacy Forum or a Weston Fellowship at the IPP. If you can get that type of gig, you have this amazing funnel, this pipeline, because you're in with all the right people, you're at the right conferences, you're publishing on the right sites. But, you know, there's only so many of those gigs to go around. You Mm -hmm. know, it would be great if we could figure out a way for either mentorship or apprenticeships or, I don't know, for people to get some of that practical experience before they try and get those big name jobs. But I don't know, we're we're a burgeoning profession, you know, so we may need to look. We really are. Yeah, we really are. And I was just talking to someone else who was interviewing for a fantastic privacy job opportunity. And he's like, but I don't have this and I don't have this and I don't have this. And I'm like, yeah, but don't undersell what you do have. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that, that's certainly true. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we all have imposter syndrome. There's no doubt about it. I don't know <laughs> of anyone successful. OK, I've heard of a few people successful that don't have imposter syndrome. But most of us, but don't undervalue what you do have. So I don't know which side of the fence I sit on here. Maybe I'm not even on the fence. Maybe there's no fence. (laughs) There's not even a fence. It's just you in the middle of a field. Me in the middle of a field going, I don't know what direction to go. Someone (laughs) show me the sun rising. Exactly. Well, I must say when I left the Dutch DPA and started in the private sector, that was a that was a big change. And yeah. actually, oh, I actually, can imagine that one. a lot of the conversations you had with people from the private sector on the Privacy Advisor podcast were really helpful for me mm-hmm. to gain lots of insights about what's hap- what was happening in this community. Oh, that's great to hear. I love that. You know, that's what I really miss about doing the podcast is that I really do hear from people quite a bit. And they're like, hey, like we miss this. And, you know, I really learned a lot from this episode. Like they remember episodes that they learned a lot from. And they're like, this really helped me on my job. I mean, you don't yeah. really realize, I'm sure you guys experience this too, and you know what I'm saying. You don't really realize when you put something out, you don't know whose earlobes it's going into and who needs what at any given time. You try and serve your loyal listeners the best you can. But whenever someone comes up to me, you know, if I run into them at an IPP conference or wherever and they say something nice like that, I'm like, wow, it's really cool that there is some information transmission happening. You know, yeah. I just like to talk to people and I hope I'm bringing some value uh, to people who are using it for you know, to do their jobs better. So my thing is like, did we have a great conversation? Yes, was that fun? But to to have a little bit of impact on folks who are really trying to get ahead and really trying to grasp what's going on in this entire industry, which is very complex, is meaningful. So I do I do miss yeah. that a little bit. Why did yeah, you I ever start po- with a podcast? Oh my gosh. So again, Sam Feifel, that little rascal, he <laughs> he's he was my boss at the IBB. And he said to me in 2016, hey, we should put a podcast out there like the thing now. And I didn't even listen to podcasts at that time. I knew that they were kind of out there, but I don't know. I just always listened to Spotify, my music or, you know, whatever. And I started investigating podcasts and just listening to them to do, you know, due diligence. And I was like, oh, I love this medium. It's so personal. 
it feels like there's always sort of a net to catch. You know, I leave my house and I'm worried about something or I have a long walk somewhere, you know, living in D.C. And it's like knowing that you have this show in your back pocket that brings you some sort of comfort or knowledge or lights you up in some way just felt like such a cool tool to have. So, you know, we I launched it without knowing what I was doing at all. And, and I just was, I remember my very first podcast was, was, in, uh, was with Omer Tene, who was then VP at the IPP. And I brought him down into this little meeting room we have, and I put a microphone in between the two of us, and I just asked him the most random stuff. Like, at one point, I was asking him if, like, he liked the neighborhood he lived in. And I remember Sam editing it afterward and being like, yeah, we don't need that. Like, cut that. <laughs> so I really didn't know what I was doing. And I just thought my theory was everyone has a story. And so I'll just wing it. And that kind of evolved over time, because what I realized is that not everyone is great at telling that story. And so and sometimes you can pull it out of them if you're very good. And other times you need to have more of a game plan. And so I sort of evolved the show over time to be more subject oriented. So we were going to talk about sort of a specific thing. And then I could kind of gear my questions toward where I knew the guests would shine. And I think I was like, Number four, very number, early. Yeah. Number three, number five, something like get, guests that you have. Yeah. I remember sitting at my desk at Concentra. Not, yeah. Sitting at my desk at Concentra. I remember actually having the conversation with you. Well, yeah. Because in the early days, I was like, okay, who can I get to just, who will really talk? Because the worst thing is if you get someone on, who will talk? Okay. I talk. <laughs> the worst thing is like if you're like, so how do you feel about the way your life's going? They're like, pretty good. You know, like you yeah. need, like, oh, need- we've had those too. That's a killer. So I actually started vetting guests. I actually, I did it through like, I would have- We did too. Yeah. I would have a pre-call and if it didn't work, I would, I would have to come up with another solution to like make sure that they felt important and I use them maybe as a source for a story instead. But you can't disappoint your loyal listeners with a total dud of- Okay, loyal listeners, y'all aren't allowed to comment in on which ones were the boring ones for y'all. We can tell by the numbers. It's okay. (laughs) But, oh my gosh, there's been a couple of times Paul and I have literally texted each other going, oh my goodness, this is boring. Yeah. And even after vetting people, that sometimes happens. It's it's not always avoidable, but- Yeah. Yeah, you do the best you can. And some yeah. people do pretty good in some mediums, like speaking on a webinar or speaking in front of a large, a large audience, a live audience, and then you get them on a podcast and they can't do it. Yeah. And especially if they don't listen to podcasts. I mean, the best podcasts, right, are the most conversational and comfortable. I mean, at least that's the style I like. I like to feel mm-hmm. like I'm yeah. listening to a couple of friends talk. And like I'm on the back porch. Friendship. Yeah. Kitchen table. <laughs> preferred spaces so yeah i think some people if you don't have a lot of experience even listening to podcasts you you or if you're the type of speaker who likes to prepare a lot you have a, a harder time doing the easy breezy like just go with it fl- type of format we we do have people that that's what they need they need to print everything out and know exactly their talking points page by page by page and they they can't do the spontaneity yeah. And yeah. And then that has nothing against them as a speaker. Certainly doesn't have anything against them as a knowledgeable person in their field, whatever field we were interviewing them about. Doesn't work well for podcasts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You just kind of learn and you sometimes get a sense, I think, over time after doing it for a while, like who's going to work and who isn't just based on initial conversations. And then, yeah, sometimes you get a little surprised and you're like, 
I didn't think this was going to suck, but it does. <laughs> <laughs> or or you get surprised the other direction is, wow, I didn't know this was going to go so well. That's hilarious. Well, there was a cybersecurity guy, the author. Oh, you'll have to remember who it was. Dr. Yeah. Oh, I one. can't think of his name. Cybersecurity guy. We knew he was going to be interesting. Eric Cole. Eric Cole from his, just from his knowledge, we knew he was going to be interesting. Got on the podcast that I swear I lost breath multiple times because we were just laughing the whole way through. It was like, oh my God. That's so hilarious. hilarious. He's he's awesome. I I will never forget him. We'll probably need to have him back on. There's been some other developments in in cybersecurity. We should have him back on. But just, you know, sometimes you're pleasantly surprised. So what was your not just on the podcast, overall in your career with IAPP, with the others, what has been a standout moment in privacy for you? Well, I am a real big fangirl of Rohit Chopra, a former okay. commissioner now at the CFPB. Yep, uh, met him. He's fantastic. I just, he says it like it is. He fights for the little. I grew up in like a real, you know, a real blue collar type of atmosphere and i i just grew up feeling like we were the little guys and we were up against you know the big guys of the world and so i love when people are voicing that voice to you know to the senate to congress when he's you know testifying about privacy data protection consumer affairs matters he agreed early on after he got appointed to ftc commit to be an ftc commissioner he agreed to do one of his very first appearances do a live version of the podcast at psr in, I want to say we were in Austin then, or San Jose, maybe. I think it was Austin. Was it Austin? I think yeah. it was Austin. Yeah, and so having him on stage, I mean, first of all, I get real scared doing live podcasts. I mean, we used to, we tried doing it at the conferences, and sometimes it attracted, and sometimes it didn't, because people knew they could listen after if they wanted. But I get real nervous, and that was a full house for that one, because he was a big name, and he was just coming in as commissioner, and everyone was like, what's your priority? What do you care about? What are we going to get nailed for at our company? And so that was a big, that was a big cool moment for me. And I really appreciated him, you know, coming on stage with me and lending me that time and being, you know, giving me sort of a moment to get some headlines out of it, you know? Yeah. That was pretty cool. So when will we see you back in this space? Well, I can't show all my cards yet. I don't, I don't, I, I plead the fifth on that. But I will say that I am I'm gearing up to get back into content producing mode. So I've been okay out of the game for a minute because I've just been doing a lot of like coming in, synthesizing what's going on at, you know, first at the last company, now at TerraTrue, and then developing kind of a plan for us. And now that I've developed my plan, I'm ready to start writing and interviewing again. So I'm really excited to, I just feel like I haven't been able to talk to people enough, like our people, you know? And part of that's COVID. I, you know, nor- normally I plan mm-hmm. a whole bunch of events throughout the year, so I'd kind of get my fill. But I've only I did go to San Diego for PSR, and I will be at, of course, the summit next week. I'll be there. Will you? Yay! So fun. Yeah. So yes, you. Will- I haven't read the COVID requirements they have yet. Which San Diego, I stopped by unexpectedly, and I didn't read their requirements because I had no idea if I was going to be there or not. I was going to be in San Diego at the same time. No idea if I was going to go by. I did. 
They needed vaccination cards. I couldn't find my vaccination card. So then they wanted you to take a live test if you still wanted to go in. And the test was, you know, you, you, uh, apparently you were supposed to open the box while you were on a video call with the people of the test. So they see you open the box and do the swab and all that stuff. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do this standing out in public. So I went in the women's restroom and I had a nice little sitting area, went over there and I couldn't get the video to connect. I'm like, y'all are full of it. I had a cold at the time, but I wasn't worried that it was COVID. But I, you know, sitting there sniffling and and sneezing probably didn't help anyone want to do a live test for me on COVID. But but I couldn't get the video to connect in the restroom. I didn't want to do it out in public on the patio or something. I was like, this is stupid. So I just threw it in the garbage and sat at Starbucks and waited on everybody to come to me. Well, there you go. <laughs> Just kind of pulled like a seagull move and hovered nearby waiting for exactly. that. Exactly. And met, saw so many wonderful people. Saw a person that I had interviewed with for a job. I won't disclose who the person is, but saw the person and said hello to the person. And they were like, hey, okay. <laughs> Why? Because they never got back to me and told me I wasn't proceeding with the job. They just completely ghosted me after. Well, that's why they don't do that, man. You're gonna the privacy world is so small, you're gonna run into each other everywhere. But it is a small world. Yeah, it's a very small, small, small world. It is. Well, so I won't be on DC, unfortunately. I, I can't justify yet to make it across the pond since we have no establishment in the US. We have no business in the US. So mm. make some business soon. in the US. Well, hopefully, hopefully. And otherwise, I need to find an excuse next year for somebody to put me on the panel, at least, and then I can come over. But Yeah, and I got to find an excuse for someone to send me to Europe. Mm-hmm. I can be with my mm-hmm. Paul. Do you know yeah. Paul and I have only actually met in person once? No way. Yeah, 45 once. minutes. Wow. And we, I mean, we were in a, a meeting for 45 minutes. We didn't actually sit and talk to each other for 45 minutes. Was literally in passing. I was like, I like that little short, funny guy. <laughs> He's a good one. Yes. So, Angelique, what what are your thoughts on the uh, the transatlantic thingy? That's thingy. what we baptized it in in last week's episode. The oh, um, impenetrable sustainability framework thingy. I'm down with thingy. Yeah, that works. I don't know what to think. I just don't understand why we keep doing it because, like, we're not going to change the surveillance laws in the U.S. probably ever. And that, but we might actually come up with a federal law that might preempt the surveillance laws in some respects. I just listen. I don't know. I don't pretend to know anything about working in federal security and and, you know the NSA or the FBI or any of those places. But I know that when I went to hearings on the matter shortly after, it would have been after the Snowden revelations. But for some reason, we were having a new slew of like Section Seven Hundred Two. hearings about you know what the u.s should be able to scoop up in terms of data and those law enforcement reps they weren't i don't i don't see them coming around anytime soon and being like all right you know what because first of all there were so many things that they couldn't talk about in that hearing and there was a there was a classified hearing that followed and so i'm sure they they disclosed much more to the lawmakers but i just see them i see law enforcement fighting tooth and nail in the name of counterterrorism. And I'm not saying that that's a bad, I'm, I appreciate those who protect us and do that scary hard work. But I'm just saying when it comes down to it, I don't see us acquiescing to the way that you would like us to in some total. And yes, right. I, I think it's, you know, it's great that this new agreement has these 
redress mechanisms and this proportionality aspect to it that makes it feel more like Europe's law. I just, I, I have to imagine that Shrems is sitting with a fork uh, and knife, uh, you know, at a table right now, ready to just carve Privacy Shield 3 yeah. right up and we can do Shrems 3. I just, I, I think they should just get Shrems in the room and be like, what would you take? Like, what would you, what deal would you take that we can just keep this going? Because it's hard for these companies who are just trying to, you know, I feel mm-hmm. bad, you know, I, as much as I'm the little guy, I also feel, and I appreciate the activism Shrems as I also feel for these companies who like, every year or two are having to to freak out over whether the way that they transfer data from the EU to the US is no longer going to be a valid way to do it. So I don't know. I appreciate these band-aids. And I know, I think, you know, people are pretty, I think Caitlin Fennessy at the IPP, like she worked at Commerce and I trust her, her opinions. I think she's feeling pretty good about this and she sort of understands the relationships better than I do. But I just feel like on the US side, we're always very optimistic and we're always like, this is going to work out. We got this. And even when I have private conversations with people who are inside these negotiations, and obviously they're not disclosing things they can't, but like the vibe seems to be we're getting there. And then yeah. on the EU side, it's it sort of always feels like a little bit of a different story. So I think mm-hmm. maybe it's just the sound bites are different from what's happening inside closed doors. But I just feel like we're still in trouble with this whole privacy, sh- this whole thingy. Thing, yeah. Well, I, I'm as I said in in last week's episode, I'm hopeful, but I'm not as confident as as Kay is or Chris and Hillary were when when we discussed it last. But also, to be fair, all the hoops that we are asking the U.S. to jump through, many of the European member state, states should jump through them too, and also they don't. The only thing is, the European Union can't touch them. The Council of Europe can, but then we first have to wait for the Council of Europe um, to actually make some work out of it. Then we first need to ratify Convention 108 Plus. So By the way, figure. speaking about speaking about the Council of Europe, did you see that we have another set of draft SECs on the table? No, I missed them. As of I, I woke up and jumped on a podcast. Well, this is thanks to Luis Alberto Montezuma from Colombia, but we actually have Council okay. of Europe SECs now as well under Convention 108 Plus. They're still in draft, but they will be published. Can we give Lewis a shout out? That guy. Oh, absolutely. That guy just never stops. He's just, he tw- he retweets me before I even get done tweeting it. Which <laughs> I appreciate. He's on it. He's like, share, you know, he's like, I feel like he's he's really dedicated his life to serving the privacy Twitter. He's just all yes. over it, you know? Shout out. And he seems to be active 24-7. 24-7. And he's also a sweetie. He brought me some handmade bags to the last PSR summit from his home country, which were beautiful. He's just oh, awesome. Him. Yes. Okay, that is that is your mission for next week. Find Louis and interview him. Okay. He's Louis, sure. if you're I, out there, yeah, you, you got to find me. I'm not going to be hard to miss. I promise. Just I'll probably be the, the one walking party. around with a microphone. Yeah, <laughs> and the accent. There's not a lot of accents like you walking around summit. Probably sure. wearing bright, eye bright, searing colors too, and laughing. You're and handing out serious privacy stickers in, in pink yeah. and blue. There exactly. I've had people reserving the ones that they like. That's cute. <laughs> and by the way, I'm only printing a hundred of each. Oh. So they're gonna go quick. We'll see. We'll see. I I have to admit, no one has yet claimed the one that I thought was the funniest. What's that? I one? thought K Rock Paul Rocks and K Rolls or Eyes was the funniest. Well, they probably after this, after they hear your sniffles, they'll probably speak up. They wanted to say something <laughs> in their mind. 
No, the the favorites, well, I would say the favorites so far, but they haven't been. They've been pretty equally split between why so serious privacy <laughs> with the Joker to the are you ready for the unexpected question to the good to the last mic drop. Nice. Love it. Very cool. We'll put some of my pictures in the chat somehow or yeah. in, the, in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. I can show pictures. I won't. I so, might. So, I might. What's going on with you two? Like, what are the what are you spending time on these days when it comes to privacy? What's your biggest headache? My biggest headache right now is the risk appetite assessment that I'm preparing for my management team. Oh, fun. I'm rebuilding a privacy program at Katowiki, which is a, a Dutch online auction site for special objects. So anything that you want to have, but don't necessarily need, which is fun. There is a lot of things that you really want to have if you look at the website. And I'm um, I'm rebuilding the privacy program. And before I can draft all the policies, I need to understand what leadership is willing to accept and what they are not mm-hmm. um, and how far they want to go. So I've been designing strategies and, and scenarios for them to pick from and uh, to agree with or to disagree with to have a discussion in the course of next week. Well, that sounds fun. That's a little philosophical. I dig it. It is. And at the same time, it's very operational because I need to think three steps ahead. It's a bit like playing chess with my management team yeah. um, on, on strategy. But it's, no, it's fun. It's, uh, it's a very good exercise to do. It will actually give me uh, a lot of input for the, the rest of the year also to steer the business towards the, the right things. Yeah, that's amazing. And I am working on the privacy notices. Oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, we had uh, outside counsel redo them before I came on board. So I'm looking at them and uh, looking at rolling them out. So, And I'm trying to find a way to make them... Readable? Well, not just readable. That That's one thing about lawyers and privacy notices. They're very rarely ever readable. So I like things to be readable. But as I was talking to our team responsible for getting them loaded on the website, it's a case of, oh, and trust me, they can be fun. I'm okay if you want to put icons or drawings or record a video and explain the podcast. Uh, explain, explain the podcast. Yeah, explain the notice to people. I'm I'm okay with fun. You should. I mean, that would be amazing. Like, I you should start that trend. I would totally yeah. prefer icons over any yeah. other notice I've ever looked at. Oh, absolutely. Something that says this is what we do. This is what we don't do. Yeah. It's and, my big and, wish for the end of the year to have to launch a, a privacy information center around Data Protection Day next year, which is not only good in content, but also visually appealing video or basically something like the airline safety safety instruction videos. Yes, you have very like, boring like ones, Southwest airline but you also have the very video. funny ones like British Airways doing Love Actually or Air New Zealand doing The Hobbit, um, yeah. something like that. Something it has to be, which by the way, I don't know if y'all two call well, I know Paul did. I think you saw it uh this morning. My my newest endeavor that I swear is gonna happen. What's that? Privacies. And we're gonna have a privacy conference on a cruise ship. Oh, I'm in everybody I'm- has to pay for their own cruise Fine. and there's there's a fee for the CLEs, but I'm thinking three active hours a day at seas. So a seven day cruise, five times three, fifteen CLEs for the week. There you go. Privacy. I don't need cybersecurity. I don't need CLEs, so I'm just going to go on the cruise or CPEs. Um, 
OCPEs. I w- I'm just going to go on the cruise. But I, my, my friend Coben, who is now actually at the IPP doing like a director of DC gig, he and his husband go on cruises all the time. And I've always been a little bit scared, Whoa. especially since the COVID cruises where people uh-huh. were just like stuck at sea. But I, they have so much fun and they send me these pictures from all these different islands. And I'm like, why am I not doing that? I think I have to do it. It's, it's my new endeavor. Yeah. So if I can combine, maybe I can expensive it if I combine it with work. But still, See, there you go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, we can do a something. recording of the podcast with all the amazing people that we have on board. Yeah, yep. that would be amazing. Oh, actually, that's an interesting question. How many do y'all have? Do you ever do like a group or do y'all usually stick to one guest or maybe the, two? The biggest group I did was when the first time Paul had to be off during a podcast. So I did an open mic and I took as many people as wanted to come on. So I think there was nine. Oh, cool. Something and like we, that. It was a, it, it, it was horrible in editing, I guess. It, it was horrible, but I have to say it was it was kind of smooth because we didn't have time to get into discussion of anything. Uh-huh. I went around the room and asked him, what was your biggest point in privacy? And each explained it. And that was, that was basically all of our time. Yeah. But usually we stick to one guest, sometimes two. Yeah. Um, we've done a few with three guests, but most most of the time it's one or two. Yeah. And we do all of our own editing and everything. Oh, I did too. And I never want that again. And <laughs> so it took me, it just took so long. And yeah, if you had multiple, I finally used a program where I'm sure this does, where I could get the separate audio tracks from separate. Yeah, we do that. We just adjust the volume in one. But I used to have another program where I couldn't do that. And adjusting the volume, I would literally have to go after each question and then readjust oh, yeah. the speaker. Like if the, interviewee was a softer speaker than the interviewer it's all of that like very tight like trying to tweak and it takes so long painstaking detail and i respect you that you do the editing because it's not fun the great the best thing is is that we have a program that actually levels out the volumes automatically and everything does that because as you can imagine when i bust out laughing there's a little (laughs) bit of a difference in volume yeah. And then, of course, when we over talk each other and we can hear it, it's understandable. But I, I adjust a little bit for that as well. Um, but yeah. 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 I do the rough cut and Kay does the final details. Oh, I don't know what I'd like. Le- I, I hate both of those. <laughs> I really can't emphasize enough. I mean, I just at least you have each other. I was, you know, it, it was just too much work. Yeah. I love the interview part. Of course, that's the fun part. But yeah, what we did add to our FAQs is that if your mic messes up and you have a lot of clicks through it or there's a problem on your end, we reserve the right to not use your episode. Oh, yeah, that's fair. Because yeah. I went through handstakingly and removed probably 300 clicks from some interview the first season. And I told Paul, I said, never, ever. Again, no, not happening. Somebody with a headset begging against their kept clicking shirt or something. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, no, yeah. it's such a bummer. not no, but heck no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it is. But on that, I guess, Paul, that we have reached the end of people's 30 minute walking time. We have reached more than that, but that's fine. We will go back to our regular length of around 35 minutes soon. Last week's episode was exceptionally long. Because oh, it, was it was our one hundred. This is episode one hundred and one. So thank you, Angelique, for being our guest today. We look forward to welcome you back as our competition in the podcast family. I made no commitments. There's, there's. We don't know what's happening with the podcast. 
Any day. <laughs> and I'm any still day. drinking. I mean, maybe maybe in six months, maybe two years, but someday you'll be back. I'm pretty sure. So on so. that note, thank you for joining us. Thank you to all our listeners for being with us again. If you like the episodes, please rate and review us in your favorite podcast app or on your favorite podcast platform. Hey, I want good reviews for this one. I want good reviews. That's right. Yes. Absolutely. Should you have any questions or suggestions, please reach out to us via seriousprivacy at trustart.com or info at seriousprivacy.eu or via Twitter at, at podcast privacy. You will find us on LinkedIn. Just look for serious privacy. You will find Kay on Twitter as Heart of Privacy and myself as Hero Paul B. Until next week, bye. Bye, y'all. That was Serious Privacy. Hey, listeners. Looking to navigate the realm of responsible AI data privacy governance? Well, look no further. Absolutely. TrustArc is paving the way, offering a complete approach to managing privacy risks in the world of AI. TrustArc allows organizations to confidently use AI with personal or sensitive data, moving forward efficiently and cost-effectively. And here's the kicker. Protect your company and data with TrustArc's privacy-driven compliance software. Because their deep automation streamlines data privacy governance cutting your time to compliance with automated data mapping, risk assessments, and regulatory reporting. TrustArc's enhancements go way beyond that, helping organizations understand AI better and align cross-functionally on data governance, privacy, and security. Plus, they provide guidance on privacy governance for AI and how to mitigate risks using frameworks like NIST AI, OECD AI, and the Nemesis Privacy Management Accountability Framework. If you're aiming for compliance excellence, check out Privacy Central, seriously one of my best parts. It uses automation and privacy expertise to understand your requirements, build and manage your privacy program with ease. Oh, I agree. Privacy Central is your go-to to measure your progress toward responsible AI data compliance. Stay ahead with TrustArc's Privacy Central. Visit TrustArc.com now. Ask me a Paul if you have any questions. <laughs>